This is Jenny welcoming you to the 2224th edition of the Enfield Talking Newspaper, dateline 27th of February 2020. The readers this week are myself and Rukshana, with Haas on the controls. The editor was Alan, and the production and distrib- distribution team is Joan and Jean. Our title music is Country Rock Polka, composed by Pat Prie, Fernand Bouillon, Harry Breuer, and performed by Jean-Jacques Perry, and is used with his kind permission. The local news stories that we will be reading come from the Enfield Independent and are their copyright. The events information has been collated by us from other sources. The lead story this week is Man Triumphs in David and Goliath Battle Against the Council. Before the news, we have one or two special items and notices. First, the sunrise and sunset times for the week beginning the 2nd of March are 6.43 and 17.43. Do get in touch with us to share your own news and special announcements. We love to hear from you. If you have any comments about the Enfield Talking newspaper, please phone Diane de Jersey on 020-8805-6578. She is your listener's representative and will be pleased to help you. Now, Roxana will read the first item of local news. Man triumphs in David and Goliath battle against council. A full-time carer said he took on the council and won after a local authority rode back on a steep hike in garage rents. People claiming certain types of welfare benefit will be charged £5 less per week to rent garages privately from Enfield Council under plans due to be approved tonight, on February, and that was on February the 26th. Council bosses admitted a decision to raise rent substantially from April 2018 had a detrimental impact, leading 87 people to give up their garage licences and cutting the local authority's revenue by around £113,000 over a one-year period. Frank MacDonald, who is in his 60s and lives in Menon Drive, Edmonton, has been campaigning against the rent rises since they were introduced in what he described as a David and Goliath struggle. The increase in Mr McDonald's rent from £72 per month to more than £130 per month left him worried he would have nowhere safe to store his 1970s bond bug, which was a 21st birthday gift from his partner. So he was pleased to hear the council had included a concession for welfare claimants in its latest garage rent increases – Sorry, I'll apologise, I'll say that again. So he was pleased to hear the council had included a concession for welfare claimants in its latest garage rent charges, meaning he will pay around £20 less per month from April this year. Mr MacDonald said, It was a David and Goliath battle and I won the day, not just for me but for everyone else. There were hundreds of people who were affected by this draconian policy and a lot of us were on disability benefits and welfare benefits. The council realised the policy was really bad. After the fees went up, Mr MacDonald, who cares for his partner full-time, feared he would have to give up the garage he had rented on Cedars Court since 2006 and he continued to lobby the council to change course. He said he had also campaigned on behalf of more than 350 other garage tenants who had been hit by £60 a month rent hikes, which he discovered via Freedom of Information request. Enfield's Council's Cabinet Member for Social Housing, Councillor Gina Needs, Labour, Turkey Street, said, From time to time, Enfield Council has to revisit policies and re-engage with residents to make sure proposed changes are appropriate and represent value for money. In this instance, Enfield Council's Cabinet found that rental increases in garage charges should be reviewed in the light of resident feedback and take-up. As a result, we have agreed a new garage strategy and rents will remain the same for 2020 to 21. In addition, a new concessionary rate will be introduced for private tenants in receipt of certain welfare benefits, recognising this council's commitment to those on low incomes. 
I'm very happy that Mr. McDonald is pleased with the results. And there is a picture there of Frank McDonald with his 1970s bond bug. £7 million investment in roads and parks. £7 million will be invested in maintaining Enfield's roads, pavements, play areas, parks and bridges. The funding, which is set out in Enfield Council's 10-year capital strategy and capital programme, was approved by the Cabinet on February the 12th. The report contains a business case which will see £6.45 million allocated for highways and street scene repairs and upgrades in 2020-21. Additional funding will also be allocated to assess the condition of more than 340 bridges, 92 play areas, 210 kilometres of paths in parks and 90 kilometres of park fencing. The Council will also match fund flood management works, including features such as tree planting, wetlands projects and rain gardens. The extra money for alley gating will reduce burglaries and improve security. Enfield Council's Cabinet Member for Environment and Sustainability, Councillor Guni Dogan, said... Despite ongoing funding cuts, Enfield Council continues to prioritise projects to keep the borough moving, grow the local economy and keep residents safe. Our highways and parks are the arteries that sustain Enfield's communities. It is therefore right that we strive to maintain them to a good standard, even when the Council has had to make £179 million savings over the last 10 years – due to government cuts and increased pressures. As well as the £6.45 million for highways and street scene in 2021, the Council will fund annually £200,000 for bridge works, £200,000 for play areas and paths in parks, £80,000 for alley gating and £250,000 match funding for flood management projects. Teenager stabbed ten times. A man accused of stabbing a 15-year-old boy to death threatened another teenager with a 15-inch blade during a robbery earlier that day, a court has heard. Romario Lindo, aged 21, is standing trial for the murder of Perry Jordan Brammer, who was knifed ten times on the Broadwater Farm Estate in Tottenham on August the 30th last year. The pair had fought after Lindo stole brand new shoes belonging to a friend of a friend of Perry's outside Bruce Grove Station earlier that morning, the court heard. The boy who bought the trainers described the robbery to the jury at Woolwich Crown Court. The teenager, who cannot be named for legal reasons, said the 21-year-old came up to him, adding, I think he said, come here, or something like that. I said no, I didn't want to. The witness said Lindo gave him a countdown to hand over the shoes that he was carrying in a bag on his back, explaining, He counted up to five. I was trying to walk away, but then he grabbed the bag. I was going to walk away, but he just grabbed it. In an earlier statement to police, read to the court, the boy described Lindo as saying, Don't make me back out my 15-inch. He did not actually see a knife, the court heard. Continuing his evidence, he described a scuffle, adding, We were both trying to get the bag and he punched me in the face. The defendant then made off with a gold Nike 97s worth worth £90 before he was eventually pursued by Perry, the court heard. The witness told the court that before that day he had never seen Perry. When he encountered Lindo on Willan Road, Perry was subjected to an attack all over his body and knife wounds were found on his face and neck, chest and buttocks, the court heard. He was taken to hospital but died from his injuries on September the 4th. The unnamed teenager said he witnessed the fight and described trying to hit Lindo with a bag. He explained, There was a pouch on the floor. I picked it up and tried to swing it. I tried to hit him with it, the person that got the shoes. He then spotted the weapon on the floor and fled, adding, I looked back and there was a knife on the floor next to them, 
close by. He picked it up, the person who got the shoes. After that, he said, I ran. I picked the shoes up because they were right next to me. During Wednesday's hearing, the jury heard about the extent of Perry's injuries, including one knife wound which went from one side of his throat to the other. Lindo, who lived in Enfield, North London, admits robbery but denies murder and possession of a knife. The court heard on Tuesday that Lindo told police he was acting in self-defence and alleged it was Perry who was clearly holding a knife. The trial continues. TV show comes to town. A popular TV show is returning to Enfield to film a new episode. Antiques Roadshow will be at Forty Hall in Enfield for a day of filming on Sunday, May the 17th. Thousands of people come to each roadshow filming day, hoping their car boot bargains and family heirlooms are missing masterpieces or priceless treasures. Presenter Fiona Bruce, who announced the 2020 venues on The One Show on Tuesday, February the 25th, says there are some remarkable items still out there waiting to be discovered. We saw some astounding valuations in last year's series. Let's try and do even better this year. We're visiting some beautiful and surprising locations and no doubt we'll meet some surprising owners too. All comers welcome, so do bring along your objects and let's see if we can unearth some truly amazing finds. A Fabergé egg would do, I'm not fussy. First broadcast in 1979, The Roadshow remains one of the most popular factual programmes on BBC One, with around 6 million people regularly watching on Sunday evenings. Entry to The Roadshow is free and no tickets or pre-registration is required. Visitors are welcome to turn up on the day, but they can also share their stories about special items they are bringing along on www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Antiques Roadshow. Alternatively, write to Antiques Roadshow, BBC, White Ladies Road, Bristol, BS8 2LR. Review of development could cost millions. Labour councillors rejected calls for a, review, for a review of a controversial regeneration scheme following a warning over potential financial risks to Haringey Council. The Liberal Democrats called on the council to look at alternatives to the Ward's Corner regeneration project, which involves demolishing the current site of Seven Sisters Indoor Market, also known as the Latin Village, in Tottenham. At a meeting of the full council on Monday, February the 24th, the Lib Dems claimed a review of the scheme could be funded by a £281,000 cut in the communications budget. Despite the council's repeated pledges to ensure a new market is provided on the redeveloped site, some traders continue to voice strong opposition to the scheme and want their own community plan to go ahead instead. Councillor Paul Dennison, Liberal Democrats Highgate, said This amendment keeps the door open on Ward's Corner. We were told we could not right the wrong of the Haringey development vehicle, but the reality was very different to what we were told. Our amendment will replace the Cabinet's convenient defeatism on Ward's Corner with a serious effort to review the current plan and see how the community plan can be its hub to deliver a sustainable future. But the council's monitoring officer, Bernie Ryan, warned members that voting for the proposal could endanger the local authority's finances. Mr Ryan said, If Amendment 2 on Ward's Corner were to go ahead, it would create the risk of a multi-million pound action against the council for breaching the development agreement. The budget debate saw Labour councillors defend their manifesto pledges and claim they are improving the borough despite the challenges created by large funding cuts begun under the Conservative Liberal Democrat coalition government in 2010. Cabinet Member for Finance and Strategic Regeneration, Councillor Charles Ajay, Labour, White Hart Lane, said, This budget builds community, wealth, reduces inequality and creates a fairer and better borough. 
Haringey Council's budget for 2020 to 21 includes a 1.99% increase in core council tax and a 2% rise in a levy used solely to fund adult social care. On Ward's Corner, Councillor Ajo said, There was a scrutiny review and a response to it. There was a policy advisory group review and a response to it. In terms of the financial implications for the council, have you thought about that? No, you haven't. All the Liberal Democrat amendments were rejected by members of the majority Labour group when put to the vote. The council's budget for 2020-21 to was then passed, despite opposition from Lib Dems. Search for eco-friendly investment alternatives. Climate emergency was declared last year. Enfield Council has drawn up plans to make its pension investments more environmentally friendly. The Pension Policy and Investment Committee is set to consider shifting some funds to greener alternatives to support a transition to a low-carbon economy. It is being asked to consider and approve moving all the fund's passive equity exposure to track a low-carbon index strategy. It will also consider options to make an active investment of around 5% of the fund's total assets in a sustainable or fossil fuel-free global equity mandate, with another 5% in a renewable energy or clean energy fund. The Council declared a climate emergency in July last year and has set a target to become carbon neutral by 2030. It has previously come under pressure to withdraw all of its pension funds from fossil fuel assets, which contribute to climate change. The Council claimed in February last year that the amount of pension money indirectly invested in fossil fuels is around £18 million, just 1.8% of its total value. Councillors will decide whether to go ahead with the changes to the scheme at a meeting of the Pension Committee on Thursday, February the 27th. The meeting will take place at 9.30am at the at Enfield Civic Centre. Four men to face trial for stabbing. A fifth man has been charged after a 26-year-old man was stabbed to death. James Amadou in Enfield was stabbed in Blossom Lane in Enfield on Thursday, October the 31st. He died after attending a North London hospital at around 2.21pm. Detectives investigating the stabbing have charged a fifth person, Sheldon Crawford Proverbs, aged 28, of Collinwood Avenue in Enfield. Crawford Proverbs was arrested on Monday, February the 17th and charged the same day with assisting an offender. He appeared at Thames Magistrates Court on Tuesday and has been detained. His next court appearance is at the Old Bailey next Monday. That would be last Monday on February the 24th. Previously, Romeo Mapesa, age 18, of Waterman Lane and a 15-year-old boy also from Enfield were charged with murder on November the 2nd. Mapesa was also charged with possession of a bladed weapon. They appeared in custody at Highbury Corner Magistrates Court on November the 4th. Franklin Amadou, aged 23, of Linwood Crescent, and Dennis Goxer, aged 19, of Mayor Green, were charged on November the 5th with violent disorder and possession of a weapon. All four have been detained and will face trial at the Old Bailey on April the 27th. Sixth man arrested after teen's murder. A sixth man has been arrested on suspicion of the murder of a 17-year-old girl. Tanisha Melbourne-Blake was shot from a vehicle in Chalgrove Road, Tottenham, shortly before 9.35pm on April 2nd, 2018, and died at the scene. On Thursday, February 20th, a 30-year-old man was arrested on suspicion of murder and taken into custody. There have previously been five arrests made as part of the investigation. A 30-year-old man was arrested on suspicion of murder on April 6th, 2018. He was subsequently released under investigation pending further inquiries. 
An 18-year-old man was arrested on suspicion of murder on March the 14th, 2019. He was subsequently released under investigation, pending further inquiries. A 22-year-old man was arrested on suspicion of murder on March the 14th, 2019. He was subsequently released under investigation pending further inquiries. A 50-year-old man was arrested on March the 25th, 2019. He was subsequently released with no further action. A 26-year-old man was arrested on April the 12th, 2019. He was subsequently released with no further action. Anyone with information about Tanisha's murder is asked to contact the police incident room on 020-8358-0100, tweet at METCC or stay anonymous by contacting the charity Crime Stoppers on 0800 555 Spikes in toxic air fall by 97%. Illegal spikes of air pollution in London have almost vanished in the last four years as clean air policies in the city began to begin to take effect. In 2016, the capital exceeded the hourly legal limit for nitrogen dioxide for more than 4,000 hours. But that fell to just over 100 hours last year, a 97% drop. Nitrogen dioxide is a toxic byproduct of petrol and diesel engines. It has been linked to lung disease, cardiovascular problems and premature death. There are two legal limits on the gas. Concentration must stay below an average 40 micrograms per cubic metre and cannot spike above 200 micrograms, more than 18 times in a year. From 2004 until 2017, this legal limit for toxic air spikes was breached in the first week of the year. But in 2019, there was only one breach on the Strand, which did not occur until July. But Londoners are still exposed to consistently high levels of dirty air. The roadside average across the city for January to July last year remains above the legal limit. And at some sites like Oxford Street, while the number of spikes fell below the legal maximum, average levels of air pollution remained illegal. But the concentration of nitrogen dioxide did fall at every site monitored across the city, with an average decline of 21% since 2016. In central London, the ultra-low emission zone, ULES, which started operating in April last year, has helped reduce pollution. Toxic emissions fell 30% in the first six months of the ULES, and there are 13,500 fewer polluting vehicles in the charging area every day. The mayor's 12 low-emission bus zones are also reducing toxic fumes, with an average of 90% less nitrogen dioxide in each area. Sadiq Khan said it was now undeniable that his bold action on air pollution is making a difference. He said, Toxic air is a national health crisis contributing to thousands of premature deaths every year. We're doing all we can in the capital with proven results, so there are no excuses left for the government's failure to match our levels of ambition. But Green, Caroline Russell, who chaired the London Assembly's Environment Committee, said said, though Londoners can now breathe easier, there is still much more to be done. She said, We still have nearly 300 schools in areas of very high pollution, schools that have so far been neglected. Emphasis on health for footballers' visit. Footballer Deli Ali spoke about how sports can help with mental health in a visit to a primary school. The Tottenham Hotspur midfielder spoke to pupils from Lee Valley Primary School on Thursday, February the 13th. He talked about the importance of opening up about your feelings, supporting each other and teamwork. He also said sports can be used as a positive mechanism for managing mental well-being. 
he reflected on the pressures of being a professional athlete and how he deals with his own well-being. Speaking at the event, he said, As players, we do a lot of exercise, and that helps with well-being, but also spending time with friends and having the time to reset is really important. I want to let people know they're not alone. There are always people to talk to, and people who can help if you're struggling. His visit is part of a programme by Tottenham Hotspur Foundation in partnership with mental health organisations in the community. It encourages young people to be active and aims to normalise the conversation around mental health. Mr Ali took part in a variety of activities with the children that helped them with confidence, teamwork and communication. Tottenham Hotspur Foundation Health and Wellbeing Manager Katrina Heal said it was fantastic having Delhi here showing his support. From children all the way through to older people, everyone has different needs when it comes to looking after their mental health. That's why we run programmes to help people in our local community lead healthy and positive lives. And there is a lovely picture of Delhi Alley with pupils from Lee Valley Primary School all looking very excitedly up at him. Squirrels using plastic to build nests. And I'll start off by describing the picture, which is a close-up shot of a squirrel with plastic bags in its mouth. This picture is believed to be the first evidence of a new phenomenon of squirrels using plastic bags to build a nest. The rodent is seen on its hind legs, seemingly struggling under the bulk of the bags before transferring them into its jaws and scurrying off. The pictures are believed to be the first photographic evidence of this odd behavioural change in squirrels. This squirrel was spotted by photographer Henry Jacobs, aged 73, as he enjoyed a walk along the Lee Valley Navigational Canal in the London borough of Haringey. Henry said, When I first saw it, I didn't know what I was looking at. I knew it was an animal, but I genuinely couldn't work out what animal it was for the first few seconds. It was a very unusual sight. I thought, what's it doing with that? Why would it want plastic? It looked very odd. I didn't even know about squirrel nests until I looked it up later that day. And then I found out that they use what is available to them. Henry added that it was a real shame that the squirrel had had to pick up litter from along the river path. He said, The people who look after the towpath do a pretty good job in making it look really nice. It's a real shame that people want to spoil the environment by throwing rubbish about. Why people can't just take their rubbish home and put it in the bin, I don't understand. I just think it's such a shame. The behavioural change of squirrels collecting plastic waste to build their nests was first spotted by an Indian scientist in 2018, but has seemingly never before been caught on camera. Dr. Muir Singh of the Biopsychology Laboratory at the University of Mysore in Karnataka, South India, published his research findings in March 2018 after observing the behaviour in Indian palm squirrels. His research observed the squirrels using plastic bags, plastic threads and cigar butts as nesting materials in urban areas instead of leaves, twigs, shredded bark, mosses and other soft materials. Researchers saw the squirrels collect a long plastic sheet from a small dump yard, carefully check it and tear it into the appropriate size and shape. Two more nests were also found at the same location, built using similar plastic material. At another site, also located near a dump area, it was discovered that only one of the four nests on the tree was built completely with natural materials. Dr Singh's research study explained... The proportion of anthropogenic or artificial material used in nest building is directly related to the extent of urbanisation. Although Indian palm squirrels usually build nests using natural materials, these squirrels appear to be adapting themselves to changes in habitat by using plastic material to survive. The use of plastic for nest building is a typical example of the struggle for existence in altered habitats. TfL receives 110,000 complaints in a year. Complaints to Transport for London, TfL, have hit a five-year high 
as angry commuters voiced more concerns about staff and service provision. There were more than 110,000 complaints to the network in the 12 months to September 2019, the most recent full year for which data is available. That's almost 20% more than two years ago when Sadiq Khan first took office, according to data revealed by Conservative London Assembly member Keith Prince. There were fewer than 93,000 complaints in the year from September 2016, down from almost 108,000 the previous year under Boris Johnson's mayoralty. This could in part reflect the high number of tube strikes when the Prime Minister was at City Hall as he pushed for major changes on the tube. Almost 6,500 workdays were lost to industrial action the year Mr Johnson left the Mayor's office compared to less than 2,500 when Mr Khan took over. But since the current mayor took the helm, complaints about TfL service performance have risen almost two-thirds, from less than 16,000 two years ago to over 25,500. Complaints about staff are up 20%, from 38,500 to 46,000. The mayor has faced a number of setbacks on transport during his term. The new crossrail line has been delayed as much as three years, with costs rising to £2 billion from a starting point of almost £15 billion. And with limited stretch in TfL's finances, infrastructure upgrades like signalling on the Piccadilly line have been delayed. Mr Prince, the Conservative transport spokesman on the Assembly, said rising dissatisfaction showed how TfL's financial struggles have had a real and damaging impact on transport. He said Sadiq Khan's misguided financial decisions have blown a black hole in the TfL finances, which has led to cancelled infrastructure upgrades and a surge in overcrowding. But a spokesperson for the mayor said complaints were a tiny fraction of the millions of daily journeys on TfL's network. He said the network had changed the complaints procedure in 2017, making it easier for passengers to share concerns, which he claimed accounts for the increase in complaints. He said Sadiq has frozen TfL fares every year since 2016 to make public transport more affordable, has introduced the night tube and is continuing to invest record amounts in modernising and increasing capacity on London's tube network. Meanwhile, more trains have been added at peak times on the Victoria, Northern and Jubilee lines to directly tackle overcrowding. Celebrating female talent at Women's Day event. International Women's Day on March the 8th inspires a profusion of events and activities around the globe to celebrate women's achievements. This year, London-based Root Sisters, a group of women working in American Roots music, are holding the first all-day music event on Sunday, March the 8th to support some of the best contemporary female-fronted Roots music bands in the UK. Compared by Wendy May, well-known Roots music DJ, broadcaster, presenter and musician, the event will feature London's Black Rose of the Blues, Sister Cookie, rhythm and blues diva Aisha Khan, country singer and songwriter Rosella Scarlett and much lauded up-and-coming blues singer Sister Susie. DJ Miss Aloha will be spinning the platters between sets and there will be a special guest appearance from Parisian chanteurs Halen Nam acclaimed by Rolling Stone magazine and Paris Match, and currently on tour in Russia as part of Jean-Paul Gaultier's Fashion Freak show. Dubbed a woman's voice, the event is also giving a platform to several female creatives and makers, including Chicago Blues Hall of Fame inductee photographer Jennifer Noble, who will be present with her new book, 50 Women in the Blues, and former Mulberry Accessories designer tooled by Sally Turner. 
taking place at the Finsbury pub in Manor House, a woman's voice will be raising money for London charity Solace Women's Aid, which offers advice and support to women and children in London who have been victims of domestic violence. To buy tickets for a woman's voice, visit skiddle.com forward slash e 13714981. For more information on this event, visit facebook.com forward slash root sisters rule. And there are two very lovely pictures there here, one of Sister Susie and one of Sister Cookie. What you need to know about bowel cancer. The actress Julie Walters was diagnosed with stage 3 cancer 18 months ago. Dame Julie Walters has spoken about her diagnosis with bowel cancer for the first time. The actor now has the all clear. She told the BBC's Victoria Derbyshire show her condition was discovered 18 months ago after doctors found two primary tumours in her large intestine. Walters, who has starred in films from Billy Elliot to Mamma Mia, first went to the doctor because of indigestion and slight discomfort, with her symptoms later evolving into stomach pain, heartburn and vomiting. When she was diagnosed with stage 3 bowel cancer, she says she had surgery and 30 centimetres was taken out of her colon. When thinking back to her diagnoses, Walters describes her feelings as Shock. First of all, shock. And I thought, right. Then you hold on to the positive, which was that he said, we can fix this. The charity Bowel Cancer UK says it's the UK's fourth most common cancer killer, even though around 9 in 10 people would survive the cancer if detected at the earliest stage. Genevieve Edwards, chief executive of the charity, says being aware of the symptoms and visiting your GP if things don't feel right can help increase chances of an early diagnosis. While there are a lot of reasons behind the lack of early detection, it may be attributed to the stigma around bowel cancer because it involves an embarrassing part of the body. When asked about people resistant to go to the doctors with symptoms in that area, Walter says, Your bowel is part of your digestive system. It's just what digests your food. And I think you just have to remember that. She then adds with a giggle, Doctors are used to bottoms. They've got one themselves. One of the main things to look out for are persistent changes in your bowel habits. You may have looser stools. If there's no explanation for this and it's lasting a long time, then it's something you should get checked out, advises Dr Diana Gall of Doctor For You. Bleeding from your bottom or blood in your stools is a symptom that you should also take notice of. Other symptoms are more general and include abdominal pain, bloating and discomfort, unexplained weight loss and extreme tiredness, says Gall. It's also worthwhile feeling for lumps in the stomach area. While this doesn't necessarily mean you have bowel cancer, there's still something which should be checked out by a doctor. Symptoms are often subtle and can be easily confused with other bowel conditions like irritable bowel syndrome, IBS. However, if your symptoms are persistent and last more than four weeks, it's time to see your GP, as this may be a sign of bowel cancer advises Gaul. There are two main ways to screen for the cancer. One is using an at-home kit which collects a small stool sample and sends it to a laboratory to be checked out. In the UK, people aged between 60 and 74 and registered with a GP are sent a kit every two years. The NHS says it's used to check for tiny amounts of blood in your poo and doesn't diagnose, doesn't, does not diagnose bowel cancer, but is a simple way to find out if you need further tests. Another method is a bowel scope screening, which Gall says uses a camera instrument to look inside the bowel. It's currently being rolled out to people in England aged 55 and above. Always see your GP if you're worried about any symptoms. And now on to sport. 
Ignatian stays second after draw away at Stevenage. Enfield Ignatian stayed second in London 3 Northwest after a 15 all draw away at third placed Stevenage Town. Ben Mills' unconverted try was added to by Gareth Rutt and a Jake Bates penalty in the second half as Ignatians recovered from a 10-point deficit to claim a share of the points. After both sides were off-target with penalty attempts in the early stages, Stevenage broke the deadlock through Latchy Kirk, who gave them a 7-0 lead. Ignatians mounted a strong fight back and got back into the game when Mills went over from a line-out drive. Stevenage went further in front through a Kirk penalty and Gareth Lewis also went over before the break. Ignatians battled in the second half and Rutt closed the gap again after a sustained period of play to which Bates converted and he then added a penalty to ensure a share of the points for the visitors. Next up for Ignatians is the visit of sixth-placed Hitchin to Donkey Lane this Saturday. And more sport... Harris read decisive, successive losses for Borough. Ten-man Enfield Borough suffered back-to-back defeats in Spartan South Midlands Division 1 after a 1-0 home loss to Amersham Town. Alec Wallace scored the only goal after Borough's Elliot Harris was dismissed just a minute into the match. Harris reacted to a strong tackle by kicking out at his marker, meaning they were down to 10 for 89 minutes. Blessing Chibi Kubel did well as a lone striker and had the ball in the net after 10 minutes, but the effort was ruled out for offside. Amersham scored the game's only goal on the hour mark when Wallace was the first to react after Kakba Wojcik saved Harry Andrews' effort. Frank Chandler hit the post for Borough after Ruben Carvalho's free kick was saved, but that was the closest they came to scoring. Next up for Borough is the visit of St Saint Pantelimon in the semi-final of the Division 1 Cup on Tuesday, March the 3rd. Six-goal win sees Salamis reach triple figures. New Salamis recorded a second successive 6-0 win in Division 1 of the Spartan South Midlands League, this time beating second bottom Park View. Salamis had already thrashed local rivals Enfield Borough the previous week to take their season's tally of goals to 96. But a further six-goal haul on Saturday saw them become the first team in all three divisions of the Spartan League to reach triple figures, as well as become one of the top scorers in the country at Step 6 level. Parkview had picked up an impressive 2-1 win against promotion hopefuls Milton Keynes Robbins in the week to ease their relegation worries. But they were on the back foot straight away as Harrison Georgiou opened the scoring after five minutes and Dennis Mehmet doubled the lead on ten minutes. Captain Ryan Herville saw his corner float all the way in to make it 3-0 and Phil Lowen made sure it was four before the break when he made amends after a previously disallowed goal. Salamis came out eager to add to their score and inflict more misery on the visitors in the second half. Lake Dernan, Luke Dernan even, sorry, got them underway after the break, providing a cool finish past the goalkeeper after being sent through on goal. Charlie Georgiou then won a penalty, which saw the Parkview defender dismissed for a second yellow, and he converted by sending the goalkeeper the wrong way to make it six for the hosts. An 8-1 win for leaders St. Pantelimon against Shefford Town and Compton means the gap between them and Salamis remains six points ahead of the visit of Amptill Town to the QE2 Stadium on Tuesday, the March the 4th. And one more... Town keep eyes on playoffs with comfortable triumph. Enfield Town remains in touching distance of the Isthmian Premier Division playoffs after a 4-1 win away at struggling Merstham. The visitors' two-goal lead given to them by Ken Charles and Sam Youngs was halved by Shola Ayula before the break, but further strikes from Lyle de la Verde and Billy Bricknell in the second half secured a comfortable victory for the Towners. The visitors made just one change from the side that beat Bognor Town last time out 
as Charles came in for Sean Okije, who was not in the squad at all. The home side, one of four teams, tied on 24 points at the bottom end of the table, made a nervy start to the game and Enfield soon began to capitalise on it. Indeed, it only took 10 minutes for them to open the scoring as De La Verde played in Sam Hatton down the right and his cross was only cleared as far as Charles who fired home the loose ball. Louis Taffe, I hope that's how you pronounce his name, came close to doubling Town's lead with a low effort, while Calvin Ekpetita was not too far away with his strike for Merstham. However, the second goal went the way of the away side when an inviting delivery from Taffe was punched away by Matt Pearson, but Youngs controlled the bouncing ball before drilling through the crowd of players into the bottom corner. Merston began to show some fight towards the end of the half, but Nathan MacDonald was on hand to block Chase Jackart's shot and to deny Ayula from close range. However, Ayula was to get the better of MacDonald before the break, when he latched onto Ellis Brown's flick to claw one back. While the home side may have had hopes of securing an unlikely comeback in the second period, they were dashed just five minutes after the restart when Pearson could only palm Bricknell's cross into the path of De La Verde and he controlled the bobbling ball before hooking it into the net. Town were rarely troubled from that point forward and were well in control of the game. Bricknell could have got his name on the score sheet multiple times before he eventually did beat Pearson, finishing into the bottom corner after a pinpoint through ball from De La Verde. There was still time for Merstham to threaten a consolation, but MacDonald did well to keep out an effort from Brown, although the flag had already been raised against him. Town are now five points adrift of Carshalton Athletic in fifth. However, they have three games in hand on Peter Adenye's side. Next up for Enfield is the visit of mid-table Kingstonian this Saturday, which kicks off at 3pm. We have reached the end of our programme for this week. Thank you for listening. So, from the team of myself, Jenny, Rukshana and Haas on the controls, it's Goodbye. goodbye. Please remember to turn over the address label in your postal packet, put the memory stick into the packet in a closed position and return it to us as soon as possible, in readiness for the next edition. Don't forget you can call Diane de Jersey regarding any help you may require in connection with Enfield Talking Newspaper on 020 8805 6578. Coming up next... The latest news and information for the Greater London area from InfoSound. The Enfield Talking Newspaper will be with you again in one week's time. Sound. If you visit the RNIB shop website, you'll see that each product, be it an accessible device for use in the kitchen, a long cane, a talking or tactile watch, a radio or audio player, or maybe brailing accessories, is given a clear description that details its specific uses, giving an idea of what it does and how it might be useful. But there's another section in the shop, a fairly small section at the moment, of their product range that's a little different. It's called Life Hacks, and it's subtitled Everyday Objects That Can Be Used A Little Differently. What's interesting is that once you start to think outside the box, as it were, in terms of using an everyday item, but in a different way that could be useful to someone who's blind or partially sighted, well, the sky's the limit, and everyone's suggestion can be as good as anyone else's. We spoke to Dave Williams from RNIB about this particular life hack section of items in their shop, and Dave started by telling us why they'd created it. For a couple of years, RNIB's message has been about seeing differently, so encouraging everybody to think differently about sight loss and to be creative and to think about, you know, what are those ingenious ways in which 
products can be repurposed to kind of make life more accessible. They strike me that they're kind of mainstream items, so it's thinking about those everyday items used in a non-kind of everyday way. Absolutely, and some people will come and view these products and think, actually, do you know what, I've already got one of those, so I'm going to start using it in a different way, and that's great. And if you buy the products from RNIB, of course, we've got accessible instructions, and that's something right across the board with all of our products. We've got fully accessible instructions in Braille, large print, and so on. So, yeah, these are low-cost, mainstream items that are used in an interesting way. And you've got just four items in this section at the moment, presumably more to follow. Let's start with the Afro hair comb. Now, we know what an Afro hair comb is for. It's for combing your hair, not in RNIB world. No, so some of our customers have told us that one of the uses for this comb is as a vegetable slice. So what you can do is you can invert the comb, so turn it upside down, and then you can put your vegetable onto the sharp teeth the metal teeth of the comb and what that does is to hold the vegetable in place while you start to slice it and of course the space between the teeth of the comb then guides your knife so you get evenly sliced vegetables. Very different sitting next door in this life hack section a bar of soap actually a bar of RNIB soap but presumably any soap will do what do you use soap for in this context? Yes, this is a lovely green soap with a slightly minty aroma. And what we are suggesting is that you could perhaps use soap not just after an activity. So perhaps you're going to do some gardening. And one of the things that happens is you get soil under your nails and you've got to scrub your nails furiously. Actually, if you scrape your nails along soap before you do the activity, then you get the soap in place. And that kind of acts as a barrier that stops sort of dirt and dust and soil getting underneath your fingers which makes them much easier to clean afterwards. Another item, again, which is expanding on an idea that people often discuss, which is if you've got two of something, how do you make sure that they stay together? You've adapted very much a mainstream item to help with that when it comes to shoes, slippers, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, really simple, a hair clip. So we've got a bright, springy hair clip. It's a bright pink, and then you can use that to keep shoes together, which can save a little bit of time, you know, when you're in a hurry and you just want to grab that pair of shoes and put them on. My wife always tells me, you need to put things back where you left them, so this just keeps your shoes together in the same place. And the fourth item that's there at the moment needs a bit of explaining, really. It's a band and a sock. Do please elucidate, Dave. So... Somebody has given us this idea of what you can do to find small items. So if you drop something on the floor or on a surface, what you can do is you can take a sock and put that over the end of your vacuum cleaner and then hold that in place with an elastic band. And then if you switch your vacuum cleaner on, on a low setting, then you would find that your small item, if you cover the area with the vacuum cleaner, will be in your sock. And not stuck in the workings of your vacuum cleaner. Absolutely. (laughs) Very clever. Are are you looking for new ideas, more ideas? Are they evolving, perhaps the team at RNIB, but also members of the public getting in touch and giving you suggestions? Definitely, yeah, yeah. It's always good to have those conversations and to hear what little life hacks and solutions people have come up with, little ingenious ways of working around things. You know, you often hear about people putting elastic bands on the shampoo bottle to differentiate it from the conditioner and things like that. And I love all that stuff, you know, how people are just using mainstream products in a creative way. So, yeah, we'd love to hear more of those. Now, those four items mentioned in the RNIB Shop Life Hacks section are the Nail Protector Soap, the Small Item Finder Sock and Elastic Band, and the Shoe Organiser Hair Clip, all of which are priced at £4 each, and the Vegetable Slicer Afro Comb, which costs £5. And to find the Life Hacks product section, just go to the RNIB Shop website, www.shop. .rnib.org.uk That's www.shop.rnib.org.uk and select the Life Hacks section. Or, of course, the RNIB helpline can always assist if you give them a call on 0303 That's 0303 one two three double nine double nine.
Infosound. Infosound. Talking portable clocks and watches are commonplace these days with a huge variety to choose from, but we've come across one that's a little different, although not unique, as it has not one voice, but two, one male, one female. And the timepiece itself is a little different as well, since it's actually a keychain, and with the press of a button it announces the current time. It also has an alarm function with three different alarm sounds. It's part of Cobalt Systems' range of products. A year or so ago, they developed and introduced a number of talking devices with dual voices. And Simon Cox from Cobalt briefly described the keychain for us. And we asked Simon whether the idea is to choose one voice and stick with it, or to switch between voices whenever you feel like it. It's quite interesting, really, because certain people prefer female voices, certain people prefer male voices, but... The nice thing with this is at any time you can change between male and female. So if you're sick of having a female voice and you want a male, you can just switch it over and have the male. Let's have a listen to the voice. Actually, the voices, I should say. Here they both are. 9.15 a.m. 9.15 a.m. 9.20 a.m. 9.20 a.m. The keychain itself, I mean, as a product, what is it used for? Obviously to put keys on, but why the voices? It's just another option to having a talking watch. Generally, they're louder than a watch because they've got a bigger speaker. And also, they can be used single-handedly. So normally with a watch, you have to put your arm up to your ear and use your other hand to press the talk button. Where with a keychain, you can hold it in one hand and use your thumb just to press the talk button. So it's a one-handed operation. Right, and it speaks the current time. It's got a slightly larger speaker, as you say, than obviously you'd get in a watch. That goes without saying. Can you alter the volume? Can you adjust anything on it? Because it is still, when all said and done, a pretty small unit that sits on the keychain. Yeah, on the top edge, there's a, a volume slide. So basically, there are two volume levels, a high and a low, I guess you would call it. And the keychain also has an alarm function with three different sounds. I guess the dual volume, could that be seen possibly as being indoors and outdoors? Because if you're in a street environment, you're going to need a lot more sound, aren't you? Yeah, that's quite possible. Or again, sometimes hearing ranges are different. The older I get, the deafer I get. So, you know, it'd be quite nice to have something I could just turn up. Now, it's got one small battery in it. Is that easy to change? Because if you're using it a lot, I guess it's going to eventually run the battery down. Yeah, it's a fairly simple operation. Just on the back, remove the cover, put a new battery in. Very simple operation, really. And being such a small unit, I presume there's no display on this, is there? Not on this particular one, no. Um, the other two variants of Keychain that on dual voice that we sell both have display, but this one doesn't have one. And the price of this dual voice talking keychain clock with alarm function is £9.95 and it's supplied with a CR2025 lithium battery. Postage and packing are free of charge. It measures 40mm wide by 66mm long and for more information you can phone Cobalt Systems on 01493 Seven double o one seven two. That's o one four nine three seven double o one seven two. Or you can email them at sales at cobalt spelt c o b o l t dot co dot u k. That's sales at cobalt dot co dot u k. InfoSound. News and information about living with sight loss from InfoSound. RNIB's news agent service provides roughly 200 magazine and newspaper titles in various accessible formats. Now, this is not to be confused with the hundreds of volunteer-produced local talking newspapers and magazines which are produced in audio. RNIB's newsagent service produces mainly, but not all, national newspapers, 
some pretty well unabridged, some as compilation digests and magazine compilations in different types of audio, braille, large print and as emailed electronic text, for example. We spoke to James Bartlett, RNIB Library and News Agent Manager, and James first ran through the scale and scope of what the service can offer. We have around 200 publications available to people. We have everything from the radio and TV guides that people can get in Braille, they can get it in e-text, they can get it in audio, on CD and the like. So people can actually pick their coming week's TV and radio choices. We have a range of mainstream magazines. We have People's Friend, which is the world's longest running women's weekly magazine, and we provide that in audio. We have everything like BBC Science Focus, BBC History, we have Cat's World, and if you're not a cat lover, we have Dog Monthly, so you can have that instead. So we deliver these things in a variety of ways. We have audio CD and audio USB. Cat World is available as an audio magazine, and that's read by a human being. So I think a lot of people actually like to get that human inflection, whereas something like the Radio Guide is read by a computer, because if we were waiting for a human being to read everything that was on and all the channels, you'd get it three weeks too late. So, you know, we have to sort of reflect the realities of what we're going to produce in what time for people. For some digests where we pack an awful lot of information in, we do a daisy structured audio compilation of information. And it's done in daisy so people can navigate through the sort of sheer amount of information there is and jog on to the stories that interest them. We provide a range of literature in Braille, which is contracted double-sided Braille. So we have, as I said, things like the TV guide and we have some other publications as well. And we also have big print. People often aren't aware that we do a big print TV and radio guide. So it's not just, you know, audio and Braille and electronic text. We actually have a title there as well. But alongside that, we also deliver quite an amount electronically. So every morning, people who subscribe get their newspaper delivered by email into their inbox. And they can be reading, you know, The Guardian or The Mirror or whatever it is on their commute to work or their way to town. I do remember my colleague telling me what was in the paper before I'd actually bought the paper copy myself. So that can be read over the cornflakes in the morning. Absolutely. Now, you talked about all these different titles. Away from the digests, which I presume are compilations of sort of like-minded publications altogether, if one's got, I don't know, one of the daily papers, for example, what kind of proportion of that content is there for someone to read? If it's the e-text delivery version then people will get the entire paper contents. I suppose the only exception is is sometimes something like the mail will include a particular insert, and we never get the inserts, but you get all the news articles, political comments, the sports, the health, all of those different elements of the paper will all be there. It won't have the adverts and all of that, but everything that's been written is what we provide because we receive the entire publication. For people who can't access the e-text version, we do a digest where we pick out the more interesting articles. And these are hand-selected. There's a real human being going through picking articles. And that will be a weekly digest that's delivered in audio format where somebody's picked out what they think is probably the most important and most varied selection from the week. And we do that across a variety of newspapers. One of the striking things about your newsagent service, as opposed to a newsagent that one might drop into in the high street, is that yours quite clearly is multi-format. Are they always exactly the same, or do they vary format to format? As far as we can, they're the same. Coming back to the example of the digests, where we've done the audio digest of, say, the Daily Telegraph, that will not have the full paper, whereas the e-text will. However, beyond that, for as much as anything else you're going to get identical copies across the different media. So if you have yours magazine, whether you're getting it on USB or CD, you're going to get the same thing across all of those delivery mechanisms. As far as the titles themselves are concerned, you say roughly sort of 200 or or thereabouts, are you looking at new ones to introduce or indeed older ones to retire? And does that process depend on demand? People saying that they particularly would like something to be introduced or indeed you just realising that some titles aren't very popular? The circulations we have vary tremendously across the different titles, and we have some that are different niche interests, but if that's your niche interest, it can be incredibly important to you. Um, we do regional newspapers as well, so 
you know, if you are living, um, say, up in the far northeast of Scotland, we do the regional papers there. We do the whole Daily Mail, the Scunthorpe Telegraph, the Cornish Guardian. So it may not be massive numbers, but if that's your area, you really want to hear about what's happening. So we do everything from Cornwall, and I've got Aberdeen in front of me here. But we are looking at our range, and we are evolving it. We've introduced three more e-titles that people can subscribe to by email. There's one called Disclosure, and that's all around things like the cinema, the theatre, musicals, and such like. There's one called Explained, and it's all around things like Area 51 and other little grey men. And there's another one called Lives Remembered, which includes things like fond farewells. The last edition was about Clive James, the great orator, the great wit, and Gary Rhodes, the very famous chef. So we are looking at our content, and we would welcome hearing from people what they feel they would like to see, because we would like to overhaul our range, but we don't want to rush to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Now, as you might expect, with RNIB newsagent publications available in so many different formats and with some periodicals being produced weekly, some fortnightly and some monthly, the costs vary quite a lot depending on what you choose to read. But just to give a few examples, the Braille Radio Guide costs 40 pence per week. Daisy TV listings also cost 40 pence per week and the Big Print TV Guide, in large print, is priced at 96 pence per weekly title. BBC Good Food, in audio, costs 92 pence per month, as does the audio version of Dog Monthly. The weekly People's Friend, in audio, is priced at 40 pence per edition. The complete Daily Mail, sent as an email six days per week, costs 16 pence per day, and the weekly Daily Mail Digest, which is not the complete newspaper, of course, and is produced in audio, costs 40 pence per week. And to find out anything else about RNIB's newsagent service of accessible magazines and newspapers, you can phone the RNIB helpline on 0303 123 nine and select option 1. That's 0303 123 or they can be emailed at newsagent.mailbox at rnib.org.uk That's newsagent.mailbox at rnib.org.uk InfoSound 